Hello, great men and women. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Men in History. I'm your host, Zach DeBacco. Now let's grab a drink and raise a glass. In today's episode of DGMH The Chaser, we are going to look at one of those hidden gems of the Columbus episode, which by the way, you will totally want to go back and listen to if you haven't already. Oh, and that sneaky piece of history lurking in the shadows? It's the Alhambra Decree. On a quick side note, if you're looking to start your own podcast, but like me didn't know where to begin, well there's no better place to start your journey than with Buzzsprout. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout is that right partner. They work to get your show listed in every major platform, and they provide you with all kinds of quick, helpful support. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their and now your message out to the world. They have made my podcasting adventure easy and fun. Follow the link in the show notes to let Buzzsprout know that Drinks with Great Men in History sent you and help support the show. How else am I going to pay for all these drinks? Oh yeah, today I'm kicking back and enjoying a refreshing glass of homemade sangria. Why sangria, you ask? Because today we are going to discuss Spain. But drinks with great men in history, Guy. I heard that Spaniards don't really drink that much sangria. And to that I say, who cares? I love drinking stereotypes, and my god, that nickname is still shit. Either way, get yourself a glass of Spanish wine, some fruit, and throw it all together in a cocktail that is oddly representative of our old friend, the Colombian Exchange. And... Be sure to enjoy the show. It's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great men that made history come to be. The Chaser. Now I'm sure you all remember back in the Columbus episode of DGMH when I dramatically said Columbus eventually set sail after a brief delay on August 3rd, 1492 for the Canary Islands. From there, on September 6th, Columbus sailed west into the unknown. But the true unknown surely rested deep within Columbus and the Catholic monarchs, as both were uncertain of the voyage's success or its crew's survival. Well, it is that one little statement, after a brief delay, that this episode is all about, because Columbus was actually supposed to leave a little sooner than August 3rd, but something had generated so much traffic in the Spanish ports, including Palos, from which Columbus departed, that his voyage got delayed. But, DGMH guy, and that is not any better, why would this be? The answer, my friends, is the Alhambra Decree. Now, unless you're from Spain or know Spanish history, you're likely thinking, what the fuck is an Alhambra? Well, it's simple. It's a palace fortress in the Emirate or Kingdom of Granada in the south of Spain that was the backdrop of the final surrender of Iberia's last Muslim stronghold in 1491. This surrender, of course, was to the Catholic monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella of our Columbus story, and it was from the Alhambra that Ferdinand and Isabella made the infamous and somewhat idiotic decree that expelled all Jews from Spanish-controlled territories. Specifically, the Alhambra Decree, well, you know, it decreed that we order all Jews and Jewesses of whatever age they may be who live, reside, and exist in our said kingdoms and lordships as much as those who are natives as those who are not, who by whatever manner or whatever cause have come to live and reside therein, that by the end of the month of July next of the present year, they depart from all of these our said realms and lordships, along with their sons and daughters, men serving and maidservants, those who are great as well as the lesser folk, of whatever age they may be, and they shall not dare return. 
So basically, all Jews now had to abandon their homes and leave the kingdoms of Spain by July 31st. But why would they do this? Well, aside from the phony conspiracies about Jews murdering innocents or controlling wealth and government, it really just boils down to religious persecution, which was a common practice in medieval and early modern Spain. With the Muslims now defeated in 1491, the Catholic monarchs could now turn their attention to other things. Apparently, funding Columbus's voyage just wasn't enough for them. Really, this was a power play to strengthen the Catholic Church, root out crypto-Jews, and centralize the Spanish Spanish state under one faith, Catholicism. But where did all of these Jews from Spain go? Well, some would find a very short-lived haven in the Kingdom of Portugal, while others found a new home in the ghettos of Italy. But most fled to the Muslim territories of North Africa and the East, where they fell under the protections granted to those people of the book. That is, anyone who follows one of the three major Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Most would find their way to the areas of the Ottoman Empire, especially Constantinople. In fact, it was the Ottoman Sultan Bayezid II who sent his own personal navy to escort Jews exiled from Spain safely to his kingdom. He even went as far as to criticize King Ferdinand II, saying, You venture to call Ferdinand a wise ruler, he who has impoverished his own country and enriched mine. The Ottoman Sultan was all too aware of the economic prowess and fortitude of the Jewish population that Europeans had constantly mistreated and shunned. Sadly, however, many Spanish Jews would face darker fates, being forced to convert to Catholicism and practice their faith only in secret. But... These conversos judijares, derogatorily dubbed Moranos in Spain, would live under constant fear of the Spanish Inquisition. Even more tragic, many Jews would have to sell all of their belongings just to afford purchase for safe passage across the Mediterranean Sea. And on more than one occasion, these Jews were simply cast overboard to their death by Spanish sailors, and the crowd would then seize massive amounts of wealth and land that their former Jewish population was forced to abandon and forbidden to sell. Columbus isn't looking like the only asshole of his story, now is he? Beyond all I have just said, there would be a lasting economic, artisanal, and managerial impact of the expulsion of the Jews from the kingdoms of Spain. I would be exaggerating if I said that the eventual loss of taxable population devastated Spain's economy. That would, however, be true for the expulsion of the Muslims in the early 1600s, but the Spanish did remove thousands from their land, many of whom were well-educated persons and skilled craftsmen. This was only the beginning of two centuries of Spanish dumbasses making the worst possible political and economic decisions imaginable. One other noticeable impact is that Spain would not welcome the Jews back for nearly 400 hundred years, and continues to have an extremely low Jewish population, less than 5% today. Religion was at the heart of medieval and early modern Spain, and it would continue to drive policy for some time, and I might say, always at a great cost. Connecting back to our Columbus episode for a second, the expulsion of the Jews took longer than anticipated, and many Jews were unable to leave the kingdom until early August. As historian Chris Lowney beautifully put it, easy to overlook among the refugee burden ships crowding Spain's harbors in the summer of 1492 would have been a three-ship flotilla being readied for an August departure. As around 100 men worked to ready the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, Jews frantically tried to evacuate by the deadline, and I'm sure Columbus likely watched and smiled like the dick he was as 700 years of convivencia or coexistence came to a bitter end in the midst of Christian domination. Speaking of domination, it's time for the scale of greatness. And today, as I reflect on my sangria-making abilities, I gotta say, not half bad. 
So Oakleaf Sangria wine is pretty much the shittiest thing you can buy, but then again, do you really need a good expensive wine to make decent sangria? I'd say no. I probably should have grabbed a bottle of Winking Owl or Not Two Buck Chuck from Trader Joe's, but you know, I didn't really feel like it. In terms of taste, Oakleaf wine is not a favorite of mine. In fact, it might be the shittiest wine I've ever had, but I did make a pretty mean sangria out of it. Adding a shot of Kenichi rum and a ton of fruit really sweetened the deal. So, I'm going to give my sangria an average score of 3 points for taste, so as not to give me or Oakleaf too much credit here. In terms of returnability, I gotta say that sangria really isn't my thing, unless of course I'm cliché drinking in Spain, then it's just fun. Plus, I'd much rather just open the bottle of wine and drink it. Well, not this shit, but you know what I mean. Three points for an unlikely return, that is of course until I can go and visit Spain again. In terms of price, well, it's an easy five points. This ass wine only cost me two dollars because I bought it two years ago on clearance. That might be an all-time low for me, as I just realized I'm drinking clearance $3 wine. I would much rather spend more money on a decent cheap wine, but you know, you get what you pay for. That being said, there are better wines around the $3 mark, so I can't give it a perfect score. Well, would you look at that? Even in the midst of my brutal honesty, my little sangria still leaves the show with 11 out of 18 points and 3 crowns. Woo for me! Make sure you join my Facebook group at Drinks with Great Men in History and follow me on Instagram at DGMH underscore History Podcast to see the recording and drinking process unfold. Feel free to email me any questions you have or to let me know a great man you want me to cover in the future at DGMHTobacco at gmail.com. DGMH will return next Friday with our next great man, Joseph Stalin. Be sure to tune in for our Tuesday with a twist. Kudos to my good friend Sherry for coming up with a better name for all the bullshitting we do on Tuesdays. So tune in as a good friend of mine and colleague join me and Luke as we decide who deserves this round's crown of greatness. It's our next segment of Shots Heard Round the World. So have a listen, do a few shots with us, and help decide the victor of the Battle of America's creators. It's George Washington versus Christopher Columbus. If you enjoy the show and want to support or be part of future episodes, follow my Patreon link in the show notes. There, you can become my Ferdinand and Isabella by offering your support and patronage to my show. Patreons will receive insider perks and a possible chance to partake in the show directly in the future. And be sure to leave us a good, hopefully, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Well, that brings the show to a close, and I find that I have little to say. I can't raise a glass to the forced expulsion of an entire population, nor can I celebrate the assholes that made it come to be again. So, today we raise a glass to Spain, a country I love so dearly. Many of your historical leaders and heroes were total assholes, but culturally you have given us amazing art, fun stories, delicious drinks, and alongside Columbus, thrust Europe into the early modern Atlantic world. Cheers! Cheers!